Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's. And you can also find me uh, at Justin Bizarro directly on my personal account. And you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So that being said, I have Amber and Ashley Campbell from Nashville, Tennessee with Tennessee Tater Cakes with us today. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, so you guys are um, – you have – I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what a tater cake is. So I think that that's probably a good start for the audience and and really getting to it. I know it now, but I'm going to start for when I started the research because I think it's a good starting point. So let's talk about your history, um, your guys' background, how you got into the business, and then sort of what is a tater cake? So Amber and I met in 2013. Um, We were both working at a bar called JV's Poor House, which is uh, about three minutes away from us in Hermitage, Tennessee. Um, and we worked together for several years, um, got engaged and opened a food truck um, about, uh, what, a year after that? Mm-hmm. Um, and a tater cake, um, we take mashed potatoes and we patty them out and we bread them and we deep fry them and then we top them with all kinds of good things, uh, meats and cheeses, sauces, vegetables, stuff like that. So, um, did you guys, I mean, where did the idea come from? Like you guys met, um, you, you grew up in Tennessee. Have you always been in the hospitality business? I guess that's one word to start. Like how did your guys avenues both lead to the bar, uh, the bar, I believe you said you guys met at the Porterhouse and, um, Like, how did the, like, did you guys grow up in hospitality, both of you? Have you been in restaurants before? So I, this is Ashley, I have been in the hospitality business, um, like, since I graduated from high school in 2001, um, and have kind of been a part of, you know, every facet of the business. Amber was in and out of the hospitality business for how long? Yeah, I was, uh was in the hospitality business through high school and college. And then when I graduated from college, I got into sales for a little bit and did some marketing, but I came crawling back to the bar industry. Um, and we both grew up here. So um, her mom was in the restaurant industry as well. Um, that's actually how she ended up working with us at JB's Poor House. And we were there for nine years. Eight years, eight or nine years, yeah. Before we quit to open the food truck. So um, this is a really cool story because you guys, um, you've grown up. Well, not per se, but now both of you, even if it's vicariously, grown up in the food business locally, and uh, well, mainly, I guess, also. And it's changed so much in Nashville with the booming of the tourism and the population. So that's one thing I want to note. The amount of opportunity here in the food business is incredible. And it's crazy because of all the hotels going in and all that. So like, it's like your history and your skill set led you to where you are, which is the opportunities that we're talking about. So when you decided, like you guys meet each other, like you, you have a relationship like where, like, how does this conversation start? Where like you're both gonna like 
or you're going to do the side hustle. Like, walk me through this because, like, I want to understand the dimen- the dynamic here because it's not like like you're working, you have good jobs, you both have come crawling back, once come crawling back to this industry, one's always been in it. Like, to leave it now to seek independence seems like a lot. So how did that conversation go and, and why? Uh, well, Amber has wanted to open a food truck. I mean, for, for much, she had wanted to open it much earlier than I did. Um, and I was scared out of my mind (laughs) about the, uh, the thought of leaving. That makes me feel a lot better because we also have a dog that I'm scared is about to bark. Um, I was really nervous to quit because I, I mean, we were working like Monday. Th- we had business at like better than business hours in a restaurant and we were making amazing money. We could take off whenever we wanted to. Like we had our client base there. So, I mean, we pretty much we had, had it made. Yeah, we had it made. Um, and I don't think either of us ever thought for a second that we were going to be able just to do it as a side hustle. I, both of us very quickly, um, realized like it was going to have to be all or nothing um that being said like you said the the restaurant industry and the hospitality business in nashville is absolutely booming and you know there's never really any shortage of opportunities if you know where to look so that that kind of brought me out of my shell um to the idea of of finally leaving poorhouse I mean, it's really interesting, right? Because it's almost like you had to burn your ships because the business is booming in order to run it. Like it is a full-time business now. I agree with you that to try to run a food truck almost half-time is hard or a food trailer, however it looks. And and then you go from there. So let's talk about the tater cakes. Let's talk about sourcing a food truck. Like you make this decision, you have to go find a food truck. Like what are all those steps look like? Like how do you figure that out? How do you decide what you want? And I mean, there's a lot of other concepts. So, I, and I know we talked about it. it. Just seems like how to land on on tater cakes. I guess there's no one else in there, so it's a blue ocean. But I want to talk about it a little bit more. Like, there's a lot of other concepts, and that's the one you ended up on. Um, you you mean as far as like how we came up with that concept versus yeah, I mean, you know, something different I, or how we started like on our journey. Yeah, let's it. let's start with how you started on your journey. So when I finally talked Ashley into into doing this, um, we just started looking around for food trucks. Um, I was looking on Craigslist in multiple cities across um, across the country just to see what was out there, and the food trucks in Nashville were super super um expensive compared to a lot of the cities where the industry had already taken off um there's just a, a lot less to choose from here so anyway i ended up finding a truck in portland oregon and we we found it in like february and then i think within the week we had booked plane tickets and flew out to portland and bought the truck and drove it home and uh What was was that experience like that? I mean, you literally drove across the country in a food truck. I've driven from Denver to Nashville and Denver to Milledgeville, uh, 
Georgia numerous times and back and forth. And that's in and of itself seems like forever. So Portland, Oregon seems like, and you're in a food truck you've never driven before. And it was February. (laughs) Oh yeah. This is perfect timing because the episode before you guys, we just talked about how there is no warmth in a food truck. Even if it's like surrounded on all sides, as soon as you turn on the hood, it's over. Yep. Yep. Indeed. So you're driving this food truck in the middle of February. What is that like? It's cold and neither one of us had ever driven anything um, that size before. Uh, And it was snowy and icy and there were wrecks. I mean, every day we were seeing it. It was, I mean, the roads were shut down at one point. We had to detour into Denver because the weather up there was so bad. I think it was in like, it was in the negative teens, um, a lot of those nights. And it was a brand new kitchen. Like it had never been cooked in before. So originally we were like, we'll just take our, we'll take our camping gear and we'll, we'll just save some money and sleep in the back of the truck. And I think the first night when we went back there, it lasted all of three or four minutes. And then I got back in the driver's seat and we went to like the nearest Howard Johnson. And that's what we did the rest of the trip. Yeah, I've um I've had those ideas as well myself where I think I'm going to be able to like camp this thing out and like go the distance. And like most things I I set my mind to, I tend to accomplish, but when it comes to like sleeping and like hotels and like like roughing it, I always think I can save money, but the reality is is I end up in worse shape than I am if I just spent the money because I if you're a disaster from not sleeping well, it's never a good thing. And well, you can't and drive. Skin- and our skin was completely like chat. We looked sunburned because there was no warmth in the in the truck at all. We we looked ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I f- didn't even think <laughs> we about like, that. That is yeah, what happened. It was really bad. Covered in in blankets, going down the road. There was only there's only one chair, so I drove, you know, across the country in a a Walmart lawn lawn chair that fell <laughs> over like five times. Yeah, I did throw her out of that. Um, Oh yeah, I didn't think about that one either. But we made it. Yeah, I mean now you're now your blood, sweat, and tears are involved in the food truck before you've even sparked the match in there to to cook a single part of of the food. Right. So, yep. all right. So you get it across country. Is it wrapped? Do they have it all set up for you, or you've got to do all that when you come here? I mean, maybe you've already created the name. I don't know about that, but. Let's talk about that. Like how much, what's done? What do you still have to do once you get here? So it was, it was painted. Originally it looked bright red. Um, in the, the post that I saw it, it was bright red. And so when we flew out there, it was bright orange. And so we were like, well, we're going to go with it anyway. We're from Tennessee. So I guess it works. Um, but that it was painted and it had plumbing and it had electric, but it did not have any equipment. And, um, obviously our logo and all that wasn't on there yet but um so all we had to do was buy the equipment that we wanted to cook and a couple of freezers and then had our logo put on it it's it's awesome that you embrace the orange i've had an orange food trailer before and it was really hard for me to embrace it but i wasn't in tennessee so i get that orange (laughs) is a little more acceptable here it's like parts of florida orange is a little more acceptable but um <laughs> or ohio now i guess uh, with the Bengals and um and so things like that so let's talk about you get everything wrapped you come up with the logo you 
come, you put the equipment in because by this time you know you want to do tater cakes. So how do you come up with a menu for these items? Like where do you start? How do you find business? Like how are the two of you now, like you're a couple, you're, you have a relationship, but your relationship has gone from like coworkers married to coworkers married entrepreneurs co-entrepreneurs, co-business owners, co-cooks, whatever you want to call it, all the above. And so how does that, like, what happens with that? Like, how do you start moving this forward? Um, I mean, it, it's so funny because I, I feel like we've only been open for a year some days and some days I feel like we've been open for like 20 because everything kind of goes on together. And I'm honestly just sitting here trying to remember even whether or not we did our first family taste test before or after we bought our food truck. I want to say it was after, but we had a lot of recipes. I, I believe it was like the week or two before we knew we were leaving to get the truck. We we had a small party at our house and like yeah. did some practice runs. So it was before. So we, we had been working on menu um, ideas and things like that for at least a year, maybe a year and a half before we ever decided to go get, you know, that we were going to go get the truck. Okay, um, let's pause there then. Let's go back to the menu development part because I, I, I want to go back and like flashback the story. How did you start? What does that look like? Like how did you guys go about the menu development process? Like what, what were your ideas? Like how did you work through getting down to where you were able to actually show it to your family? Um. The rest, the potato cake recipe came from my mom and grandma. And I had asked Amber one night just because we were, you know, we, we threw around a whole lot of different ideas. And I said, have you ever had potato cakes before? And she said, no, I haven't. And so we cooked them and she really liked them. And I mean, from there, we just started trying to toy with ideas because, because a typical Southern potato cake or, or a, how do you say it? A lot, a lot, a lot um is pan fried so you take mashed potatoes and you add eggs and flour and seasoning and then you pan fry it and top it with i mean we just ate them with ketchup growing up um but these so that we could make a whole lot of them in a little amount of time are we make them in bulk and then we freeze them so we can just throw them frozen into the fryer so we started toying with that you know trying to tweak it to see how we could um best make them as frozen goods and then i i mean we just really like to eat <laughs> so but like we would just sit around and think like ooh this would be good on a potato oh that would go really nicely with sweet potatoes and we came up with probably 30 or 40 different ideas in a little notebook and then narrowed it down to i think we have 12 um main menu items on our food truck menu at this point you know just we just had to try to narrow it down so we didn't have too many things going on at once. Absolutely. You know, because there's so little space, obviously, on it. Yeah, absolutely. It's I love thing. this. So you have an empty food truck, and you tested the food before you put the equipment in there. So you, I mean, you may have an idea of what you already want, but you've given yourself some pivoting room there by not by getting the food truck, not having the equipment in it yet, per se, or maybe you've already ordered. I don't know. But no, to me, was, the timeline seems... Like someone's being a little bit cautious here, which is probably a good thing. So let's talk, what are the 12 items that you have on the menu? So we have, um, 
probably eight. I'm trying to think eight or nine items that are like the potato cakes. So we've got the tradish, the cutie, the friendly buffalo. They all have quirky names, so they don't really tell you like what they are um, in the name. And then we have uh, a menu item that's based around tater tots. We have a couple of menu items that are based around sweet potatoes. I don't know how specific you want me to be with this. I'm sorry. Yeah, be as a sp- ex- ex- uh, be specific as you want. Like I would like. I mean, details would be awesome because I'm not familiar with. I know what they are, and I've eaten locky before. Like I can't pronounce it, and so you think I could pronounce any food, but I cannot pronounce <laughs> most of them. And um, I, st- I was on the business side, so less about the names, but the um, but let's talk about it because I think the detail is important, especially with the sweet potato and the tater tots. And in this particular case, it's an unfamiliar food. If it were pizza, I wouldn't necessarily need to go into as much details, but because you have such a unique product, I feel that the details are important. I gotcha. So with the potato cakes, we pat them into, I mean, they look like giant hockey pucks almost um they have a really creamy mashed potato center and then they are panko coated and uh so you know when you when you you can eat the potato cakes by themselves and when you do that you know you get that really crispy warm outer crust and then on the inside it's just like comforting creamy mashed potatoes um and we top them with things like we have one called the friendly buffalo and it has like shredded um, buffalo style chicken with ranch dressing and we make um, in-house pimento cheese um, fresh jalapenos you know so you get like the cheesy chickeny potato bite like all in one entree um, we also have one that has um, like a bourbon and brown sugar bacon that we also fry and put on top of the potatoes oh. with sour cream and fries and um, cheddar cheese I drooled, I think, guys. Sorry. <laughs> so, so it's all really, really healthy, you know, low carb, low fat. Um, I love it. I love it. Amber slow smokes um, all of our pulled pork. And uh, we have, an, those are our main three proteins, our, our shredded chicken, our pulled pork, and our bourbon bacon. And then we combine them into different things that go on top of the cakes. We... Um, we have one called the Papa's Locust that comes with sweet potato cakes, which are made the same way um, as our regular ones. And that has, it's like a Southwestern shredded chicken, black beans, street corn, katia cheese, cilantro, it's guacamole. And that's all piled on top of those sweet potato cakes. I'm, I'm amazed by this. The sweet potato <laughs> ones are just... Like, I didn't connect that before until you said it. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, you could use sweet potatoes there also. And so that's really cool. I like this a lot. So which your favorite ones that you guys produce? Um, and what are the most popular? Um, I really I really like the friendly buffalo. So it comes with a shredded buffalo chicken, pimento cheese, and ranch. Oh, can you already said that? <laughs> <laughs> Got to go answer the door. Um and then what would you say the most popular is the cutie or the tradition or the pop? I honestly think that it's a toss up between the cutie, the tradish and the and the friendly buffalo. And the cutie is one that's kind of like it's kind of like a pulled pork sandwich, but it comes on the potato cakes. Um, but if I'm being completely honest, I feel like as far as what's most popular from event to event, it literally is whatever the first person walks away with. 
people start in our line. It, yeah. walking around and then they, they come order it. So. so if the first couple of people order a Papas Locus, we know it's going to be a really heavy day for that, for, you know, the cutie or the friendly buffalo. Yeah, it's interesting you say this. I'll, I'm going to let a little trick in of the trade. If you ever, you, before COVID, people used to give out samples of food. Mm-hmm. And it was usually always the item they needed to sell more of that day or that week because they had extra of it. And it and it is exactly that true. Once people see someone else eating it, they want that too. And I don't know why that is, but it, it definitely happens, whether it's fried chicken or whatever. You could want hot dogs that day and, and someone gets like two pieces of fried chicken and they just, a bunch of people saw them eat it. And next thing you know, they you're sold out of fried chicken, even though it was a mm-hmm. side item. And yep. so... Those things, like I just, I do, I do recall it happening, and I, and I also do know it's part of some of the marketing and advertising strategy in food. If you can get people to taste it or see other people eating it, they then want it too. It just triggers that, I don't know, whatever it is in the humans from evolution back in the day, and so. Let's talk about the now adventure moving forward. You've come up with the menu. You've come up with the items. You've got the food truck. It's wrapped. Like, how do you start to launch your business? We hosted a um, friends and family, like, soft opening um, in our dead end at our house uh, before we ever officially opened. And we were really, really fortunate because the place where we worked was, like, the cheers of our area. And so um, with us working AM shifts, it was, like, an older crowd. And they they all became you know, a second family. Um, and they were all really, really, really supportive of us when we began. So we did that with them. We took pictures and, um, they gave us a bunch of feedback and then they told other people. And I, I feel like we were really set up for success just because we've been where we're at for so long. And so locally marketing wasn't horribly difficult. Um, it was just difficult when we were trying to initially get in with the associations and stuff in the Nashville area, just for the, you know, cause they want to know that you're reputable and you're not just going to pop up and disappear, I guess. Cause it was difficult to get people to book us on that level for the first few months. Um, social media obviously helps a whole, whole lot. Yeah, I agree with you. And so, okay, you, you're moving now, you've got the food truck going like, you've got you've got events you're 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 starting to move forward like where do you think this is is going like at this point you guys are like is this i mean at some point you're going to be like actually this might work like what is where was that moment how did it happen like all of a sudden you're like oh actually we might have a business here if if i'm completely honest with you i don't think that that really came for probably the first year we dealt with a whole whole lot of setbacks um, yeah, we, let, let's go into those to, if you guys don't mind. Like, let's talk about those because those are really real in the entrepreneurial journey. So when we when we picked up the truck originally, we obviously test drove it um, around Portland, but I I didn't know that. I know a whole lot more now about like how a, a truck mechanic. how a truck works. But um, I was like, well, it, I mean, it's driving, so I guess let's take it home. But we we broke down so many times. Um, we actually when when we hit that ice storm we went south down into denver but we stopped in fort collins and took the truck to a mechanic just to have them like check it out for the day because we were 
we were waiting on some weather to pass anyway. So we were like, we'll just have a, a local mechanic check it out before we get back on the road because we had already broken down. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he set us on our way. And um, I think we, we broke down again in Kansas in the middle of the night um, and then got it going again and got back on the road. And then uh, I felt, I just feel like, I think we broke down at our very first day of work we didn't even make it to the place that had booked us um we broke down on the interstate anyway we ended up having to get a new engine like just a couple months in um we were towed into an event which we'll talk about later um it was bad it it was just it was a whole lot of truck issues just right from the start and it was just like it, it we just kept getting more and more in debt trying to fix the truck and there there were multiple days where uh, I was beginning to question what we had decided to do, but um, I'm, I'm super happy we stuck with it. So let's talk about the truck, the engine, the like where you guys are. Like, how are you managing this? Because it's not easy, right? And I'm not trying to like go back to a dark period, but I just want to touch upon it because I've been there and like the questioning of whether to continue forward is almost a daily occurrence at some points. And, um, and so do you have each other? I mean, how's this conversation going? You're like, we're committed. We burned our ships. We got to move forward. I mean, how are you sort of handling this? Poorly, <laughs> really, really, really <laughs> poorly. Um, I mean, it took a toll on our relationship. We were fighting a lot, you know, obviously we, we invested a lot of money to get started and we had quit our jobs. All right. Not that we couldn't go back and pick up shifts if we wanted to, because we use, that same bar as our commissary kitchen even up until today but um you know it's embarrassing you think that you have all your ducks in a row and I mean we just felt like we couldn't get ahead we would we would try to bandage the problem with the truck just so we could make enough money to get you know more work done on the truck and then uh our very first gig you know we got an up like major gig that was supposed to really you know, be the money that we needed to get it fully repaired. We didn't even think that we were going to get to because we had to be towed. I mean, it was just such, it was terrible. It was terrible on like every level. I don't think that there was a week that went by for months that one of us wasn't like screaming or in tears. Um, and we, like I said, we had a lot of support, but when you come home and your bank account just keeps getting lower and lower, you know, it's kind of like, eh, what have we done? You know, what were we thinking? But yeah. we pushed through because at that point, like, we're both very, very stubborn. And neither of us wanted to go back to working for someone else. Well, and the issue, we didn't feel like it was it was our fault. Like, we were, it, it was a lot of stuff that was out of our control that was kind of holding us back. And I, I didn't want to quit without giving, giving us a real chance. Well, and you guys have such strong values, your work ethic, your dedication, like the, the, the unit you guys have created, like your family, like together. And like, the thing is that I like about you guys is like, you're communicating, but you're also like, I've been where you are in, in a relationship and the fighting and stuff, because what's weird that happens during the downtimes is there's no, like everything's now like your full kimono is like out there. Like you have the money stress, you have the emotional stress, you have the relationship stress, 
you have every stress is compounded during those bad times at the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey. And there, it's the toughest time, I think, in any relationship, but you become so strong afterwards when you get through it. But the thing is, is you're right. You're like just watching your life. You're like, oh my gosh, did we make the right decision? And it's not just one of us, but it's both of us. And, you know, I don't want this to tear apart our relationship, but at the same time, I don't want to give up our dream either. And so um, it's just one of those things. So how do you how do you eventually start figuring out the engine work? Cause you said we didn't know much about it, but it sounds like you're starting to get more familiar with it. You're starting to, to realize things and educate yourself just by experience and, um, and exposure to the issues. So how's, how do you go about this? Like, how do you then decide to put a new engine in it? Um, we had decided that we were, we, well, we, didn't want to break down anymore every time we left the house. Um, so um, we actually got some help from my mother. Um, and then she was like, I'm, I, I know that y'all got this. Like you're for what you're going through, like you've come so far, I'm not going to let y'all quit. So she kind of helped us out um, with the engine. Um, and then I, I think she kind of pushed for us to go ahead and do it. We knew we were going to have to do it, but we were trying to just wait until we had done enough shifts and could save up enough money. And she was like, you're not going to make it to these shifts if you just don't go ahead and do it. She might have been more hell-bent on us making it than we were at this point, honestly. Um, so Yeah, that's the weird it. thing about parents. Parents, you don't think they're supporting you, but they're waiting because they don't want to empty the bucket too soon because they need to pick you up when you fell. And that's what the important, I think, parents as entrepreneurs if you have entrepreneurial kids, it's one of the weird things that happens. There's those really low moments that if really great parents in general help even the entrepreneur um, really get back up during those times, which is they truly believe in you when you're having trouble believing in yourself. So I think the, I think the final straw with that, we were actually um, going to our first fair, um, the Wilson County Fair. It's huge here. And we had gotten in on our first year open, which we were we were told was unlikely, but we got in and we were headed there. Actually, Ashley left early and she was already at the fairgrounds wait, waiting. And uh, I got in a truck and I started heading that way and I, I broke down again. And um, there was a parking lot that I was able to pull the truck into, but I lost all power. Like I, I didn't have much control over it at all. But I was able to get in this parking lot, and I think I called Ashley and I said, "You're not going to believe this, but uh, you're pro- you probably are going to believe this." <laughs> but I'm broken down on the side of the road, um, and so she gets on Facebook immediately, and I, I guess you tried to find a tow truck. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, but she got on. She was like, "We need a tow truck. We got to get in the fair before opening ceremony." But I was in that parking lot for maybe three or four minutes, and then it was like our friends on faith. I mean, it's a small town, but we had so many different groups of people pulling that parking lot to help. It, it's, it really is amazing that the support system that we, we Whoa, that's we incredible. Wow. So, so we, we got the tow and then, um, the opening ceremony happened and we were in the middle of the opening parade in a tow truck. It was, our, it was horrible. <laughs> It's, um, I hate to say it, but it's like when Mater's like towing Steve McQueen in the Cars movie. 
<laughs> but I was like, all right, well, this is happening. <laughs> or it's not Steve McQueen. What is the Dream Mc- I can't remember. I always mess up the actor and the car name in the movie Cars, but whatever it is. But uh, oh, I guess that's not it, huh? I don't remember. I don't it's something remember. McQueen or I don't remember. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's uh, Mater's definitely the tow truck, though. And um, right. but the embarrassment and just the humility that happens up front. I guess one of the things that happens in life is we get a dose of it in reality as entrepreneurs right from the beginning of like keeping us in check and, and making sure we know where we've been before we get where we're going. And the lack of money definitely gives us that humility. Like it's, it's definitely happens for us because we don't learn, we don't adjust, we can't pivot, we can't become better entrepreneurs. And I almost think that if you don't go through certain war or battles, you don't have the bond after like there's the good times in that it doesn't build the culture or the spirit of your business if you don't go through it. Like truly, if you just had all the money in the world and threw money at it, you just, I don't see the culture and the spirit of your business or having all those people show up to the parking lot. Like that would have yeah. never happened. So uh, go on. Well, I mean, at that point, we were at least happy that we, you know, once we got plugged in at the fair, we were there for 10 days. Um. So we were able to make money in those 10 days, but we literally had people on like underneath our truck during the fair, trying to help us figure out what it was. And I think it was then that they, that he diagnosed it as a failed engine. So we knew every, you know, all the money that we had made at the fair, we had to put towards, um, rep, you know, repairing the truck when the fair was over. And we, that's what we did. And after that, we were great. And when was this? Um, August of 2019. Okay, so we're like, that's like three and a half years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's, now we're cruising, right? So now we, so the bad time with the engine is done. You've got a new engine and now let's talk about what happens. Like all those hard times are, are not behind you, but they're not having an engine and a, a truck is just, a disaster and I've heard the story numerous times and the engines are old and stuff like that and it's just one of those things but how do well, you so I, go ahead I think we got the engine in September um, of 2019 and then we got to work through I think January and that was when, when everything shut down mm-hmm. because of COVID yeah. so we got a couple of like real months um, working in before everything shut down and then we kind of had a pivot um and and see and figure out what we were going to do next yes so tell me about that so now you're at a one problem and then you're cruising maybe or starting to get your momentum i would say probably most likely Mm -hmm. and covid happens and i don't and i hear various different things about nashville but it doesn't sound like it was easy by any means to deal with food trucks anywhere in the changing regulations so how did you, what happened? Like, how did you get through that? Well, honestly, we were, so we were really scared um, when we realized everything was shutting down. You know, when we had bookings on our calendar, you know, into May and June at that point. Um, and all of that obviously got scratched because the whole world shut down. And that was when we realized what a strong 
you know, group of, of core, like Nashville food truck people there are because all of us pulled together and, it, you know, with, they included us as new as we were. Um, and we, as a food truck community came together and figured out a way to keep ourselves afloat by just going in the neighborhood. So Nashville, um, Nashville and the surrounding suburbs were very, very, very kind um, and welcoming to food trucks. And we just set up in neighborhoods um, for the better part of a year in 2020. So even though it wasn't, you know, that's not what you sign up for. We, we love to do the events and we love being in different places with large crowds, but those neighborhoods kept everybody more than afloat um, throughout the busy season of 2020. So we got really, we dodged a bullet, um, it, you know, and I think it made us tougher because we realized like there are a billion places that we didn't even think of that we could set up um, with the neighborhoods coming into play. So that was helpful. So it was scary for a little bit, but it wasn't as bad as we thought that it was going to be. Did you have a lot of cancellations that would eventually come back later on or reschedule or a lot of that wedding business, your catering business just disappeared indefinitely? We don't do a whole lot of weddings. Um, so that wasn't a huge deal. Um, and most of the stuff that got canceled didn't reschedule obviously that year, but we just went right back into it when everything opened back up. Cool. And so, so those were gone. We didn't make up for those lost events, but you know, now they're back up and going again. Cool. And so when going into the neighborhoods, did you feel that you guys were building better relationships? Cause you were dealing with like, I mean, it's a little bit of an interesting scenario because when you're going into a neighborhood, you're like influencing neighbor to neighbor to neighbor to neighbor, which is a much stronger influential power, like in terms of mm -hmm. marketing and network marketing, because neighbors who eat the same thing, they're going to talk about it. They're going to share it. So your ability to market exponentially grows, especially if they once COVID opened up, they carry it with them. And I'm not sure how that worked or didn't work, but it's pretty cool that they're there is this gain there. So yeah, I agree completely. I, I, we've talked about how not only were we able to get ourselves out there, you know, in smaller baby steps while still making money, but we, we did get to meet a lot of local people. Cause obviously in Nashville, a lot of these events are not that you don't see people again. You know, it's not, it's not like you're in a restaurant where you see the same crowds and a lot of people are not anywhere from Nashville. You know, they're coming in from out of town and are at a music festival or, or whatnot. So it was neat to be able to uh, serve our community in that way and, and build up like regular, I, I never thought that we would have a regular customers once we left the bar scene because it's such a different dynamic. And it's cool because we do, we have people that come in, they look for us and they search for us from week to week. And I doubt that that would be um, as prominent if we hadn't been in those neighborhoods. Yeah. I And one of the things I also agree with you on is like how many people come, like it's a weird thing in Nashville, how so many people come here and it's not like they're just going home to a different suburb or a different neighborhood around Nashville. No, you get people like in your life here that you're like, Oh, you start talking to them and you're like, Oh, whatever. And you like talk. And then it's like, Oh wait, you live in Chicago. Like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> like, what's going on here? You know? And it's like, you know, I was with, um, 
uh, Beyond Gravy the other day at their food trailer and like talking to people and not a single person that went up to their food trailer at Pindustry was actually from Nashville in like the 30 minutes I was talking to people. And so it's just like, holy crap, this is really different here. And Denver has a lot of tourism, but it's nowhere near here. Like, and the amount of college students that aren't from here. And so there's mm-hmm. all of that too. I don't think everyone realizes. I think there's 16 universities just around Nashville or colleges and universities. Um, and then you have the music scene and music business. So it's it, which brings in people, like you said, for the festivals and then back out. But there's like, it's not just like one festival like in Denver, like every so often or a couple a weekend, you know, here and there during the summer. No, it's like there's music things and events by the like thousands going on right. all the time. And so that's the thing. And that's why the, the food truck business, the delivery business, all the restaurant business, the food business in general is doing so well here is because so many people come here. And then it's why, for example, Nashville Hot Chicken was able to glow, grow globally so fast. Social media helped, but it's all those people that came here, tried it, and then took it with them. So, right. We're um, in a neat spot for sure. Yeah. And so tell me about like you go through COVID, like everything's moving. Like what are the opportunities? Like you guys are starting to learn things about um, business and being entrepreneurs that you didn't know before. So at, at, you know, as entrepreneurs, what are you starting to see or learn in life that you necessarily didn't have before when you were working um I, w- I always, as someone pointed out to me, you were su- you were signing the back of the check, not the front of the check. Now you're signing the front of the check. Um, I, I mean, the business part of it, I was, we were both completely ignorant of. And so obviously that's, that was <laughs> it. I, I hate that part of my job. Um, even now that we are, you know, better I, I mean, I don't like explain I this to me. I know like the accounting, I mean. are you talking about like the accounting and the yeah. marketing and the taxes and just that, yeah, you know, taxes. Even, even when you're not working, you're working because you're either answering emails or calculating something or paying a fee or filling out an application, you know, like you don't just have one job anymore. We have like 50. It's also difficult to keep up with because they, the inquiries come in from so many different places. You have phone calls and emails and text messages and Instagram messages and Facebook messages. And it's just everywhere all the time. And it's not just one set of financial rules that, you you know, you don't just go get one business license and one fire department checkup and one uh, permitting fee for, you know, all of Davidson County. Like you have to have a different permit for nearly every large County around us to work like we're we do our business taxes and things um through lebanon tennessee but we still have to pay them a separate fee to work there from year to year and then in gallatin there's a separate fee and then a separate fire inspection i mean it's just it's not easy they don't make it easy on food trucks in nashville I know, and it's, it's really weird that there isn't like one universal like code or agency that hasn't come along and been like, "This is what we're going to do." This, if you do this, it costs a little more money, but it 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 is like the trump of the trump across all jurisdictions. But I just, it's so local, like the restaurants that that we've 
the health department has handled or we as the United States have handled it like we handle restaurants, but the problem is they're mobile and they cross state lines and they're confusing. And instead of just making it a separate category, we've just thrown it in with the rest of the restaurants. And mm-hmm. so at least that's my opinion. I should say that just to be clear. Well, I mean, that that's, that's how it is here. Um, and the National Food Truck Association actually tried to um, pass help pass legislature to change that. And they the, the smaller, more um, rural areas were not down with that, um, you know, for a billion different reasons. Um, but to go back to what you were saying, uh, just the, the complexity of what it takes to run a business and not just be an employee somewhere is... Um, it's a lot. So. Sorry, I'm gonna have to chime in here. I gotta just say this because I know what you're talking about, and it like rubs my rubs me the wrong way. Like the whole reason the United States works is because each state has a different set of laws. They're actually independent, but they're united in their commerce and their ability and their belief in a central government. Okay, each state actually has different state constitutions different regulations different statutes okay but we're Mm -hmm. we can move between all the states in the world in commerce like i may have to use usda if i sell into another state but that usda law is the same whether i sell from tennessee into wyoming or tennessee into virginia and so that's the universalism that i'm talking about that makes the united states great you could drive your truck from oregon to tennessee without having to go through each state border you know, right. you know, and so it's like what the European Union did for their countries for the most part, um, although they they've not done so well for their countries economically. And so the thing is, is when we do this in in health regulations and we don't allow the food trucks to move across lines like the thing is, is what you're trying to capture is the taxes. It's not what you're trying to capture is the the money to pay a health code, okay? Like, look, why we do that, you have to, it takes 10 times the amount of work to do a health code license as it does just to collect the tax, okay? Mm-hmm. Just collect the sales tax, charge 0.1% more, get everyone to vote for it in your county, and then just pass that on instead of making it so hard to do the health code thing. I'm sorry, but it just is mind-boggling. But we know the United States work. We cross state lines all the time to do commerce. So it's the same with food trucks. Like, we just have to think the same way. Like, these food trucks all are built roughly the same. We all have the same food codes. In the U.S., we all live by the USDA and FDA and SQF and blah, blah, blah. Now, how do we do that for the food truck? And it's just like that. So that's my soapbox and my rub the wrong way (laughs) and like the thing. But it's just so difficult. Like, okay, I'm a food truck. The United States is in trouble. There's a natural disaster. We should want the food trucks to be able to go help them without having to fill out freaking 10 days worth of paperwork. And it's like, and the legal documentation to do that is like 42 pages. And I'm like, can we not make it 10 pages like max? So it's just all of those things make it so hard when we should be really trying to simplify business so there is competitive advantages, so there is free markets and freedom to do business competitively because that's right. what it creates. But there's so many obstacles that like were just hindered from the beginning. And so I just wanted to, I agree with you. There's just too many layers 
going from place to place. And as a mobile business um, that can move, you know, 65 to 95 miles an hour safely, you know, maybe 55, depending if there's a governor on the truck. Right. But it's um, it's generally seems like we're looking at it backwards and we're trying to apply like a circular peg to a square hole or a square peg to a circular hole. Right. And, um, and so I just wanted to comment on that. So let me go back to what we're talking about. So in order to travel around, you're having to jump through hoops and, and there's all these things you're having to manage. You have to wear all these different hats in your business. So can we just talk about who gravitates to which of these tasks that you guys don't like? Like who, like how do you guys divide all this stuff up? Um, the business side. I put my hands in the air for the audience in like air quotes. <laughs> um, I usually do a lot of, I, I do most of the corresponding between um, our clients. I do a lot of the um, application stuff and booking and Amber does a lot of the fi- more financial stuff. Like she, um, she's the one who drives the truck. So she will take it for inspections and she, is usually the one to speak to, you know, the health department and things like that. Um, so, I, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's pretty 50-50 between the two of us, but I'm the one who usually talks. I mean, clearly I talk more. I'm the talker. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's always there's always that person. And I've been in relationships where both of our, us are talkers, and it's just like the, the other person never feels heard. So it's never a good situation. Um, I say that jokingly, but it is something you have to work through. But um, the so let's talk about this. Um, You guys are now entrepreneurs. What are the core values in each other that you guys admire the most in each other? Like it can be relationship wise and entrepreneur wise, but I think they're probably the same anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But what are they like? What do you admire in each other the most core value wise? Um. If Ashley has her heart or her mindset on us getting into a festival or being having the truck set up somewhere, like she's gonna she's gonna do what needs to be done to make that happen. She's super super driven uh, in that way, and I'd say that that's probably one of the things I love most about you. Oh, well, thanks. Um... And with Amber, if it weren't for her, we probably would never get out of the door on time. Like she's the one who's up and ready to get stuff done. She's, she has, (laughs) she's also very driven. She's learned the ins and outs of working on this truck um, in ways that like shock me very often because I don't know anything about any of that. And she gets really irritated when she doesn't understand something and she'll make sure that she, you know, if she doesn't understand it by the start of the day, she's going to learn it by the end of the day. Um, and that's something that I really admire um, in her. She doesn't like to outsource very much. She really likes to be the one to know that she put her hands on everything. And I, th- I think that that's pretty admirable. Very cool. And that's actually interesting. I've, I'm definitely more like Amber naturally in, in that way, hands on, need to understand everything, need to master it myself first before I have the confidence to teach it to someone else. 
or before I can trust someone to do it. Like even with the mm-hmm. podcast, even when people, I didn't even know this skill set that I'm in now, like in recording, like I had to like really like question someone and get them to show me and like not make sure like I was getting like, I can do this myself and then I can get help, but I want to understand how to do it myself first. Even if I do the worst job ever, I want to understand it. Mm -hmm. And so like I get that and I've had to grow and work on being the Ashley part of the relationship, which is of myself. And it's more of like that go getter, like hell or high water, I'm going to get in there. Like I could handle hell or high water to get the truck working. But on the business stuff, I always had to work. It took me longer, like being a a business developer or, or salesperson, although I don't call it sales, because if you're truly running your business in all aspect, the sales is done in every aspect of your business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's like the business development, the relationship building, the, like, I couldn't like, if you guys saw me nine years ago, like I get me on a microphone, I am like stuttering. I think I say, um, 15 times more than I say now. And like, I'm a disaster sweating locked up and now you can't shut me up. So it's like one of those things that I think it's just, we develop skills and we get confidence and we learn from, um, the core values of the other person in our lives or other relationships we have in our lives. And I think that that's part of it and it makes us well-rounded, but it's also, allows us to have our own superpowers and the other person to or other people in our relationships to other humans to appreciate our superpowers and ours theirs because we don't I have love how you say that i like the way that you were that and it's really neat with us um you know obviously we we knew each other very well we've been together for almost nine years um it was neat to see how everything kind of fell into place it's not like we sat down one day and said okay you're going to be in charge of this and this and this and this and I'm going to do this and this and this like we just it just kind of all happened and we were very much alike in some ways and I think the ways that we're different especially with our business um complement each other really well we got really fortunate in that in that way and with our superpowers yeah And it's not easy. I mean, number one, you were new in food trucks, which is a hard game to begin with. But in the in the food world, food trucks and the the restaurants that were in the business before and the acceptance and and then trying to and compete with the restaurants and and it's just and what actually happened during COVID is everyone sort of weirdly came together for the benefit of the food industry and we have to right now because there's a lack of employees there's a lack of training there's a lack of schools now i mean how many schools have shut down culinary schools and schools that even teach any hospitality in the united states um and so there are opportunities there that's why we're seeing so many entrepreneurs in the space there's plenty of room for more but we all need to be together in this and i think that's one of the things that happened in in covid um, as a byproduct, even though I think it had horrible, tremendous consequences and to a lot of people, one of the things that has happened is it's unified the food industry, even though we're in a really bad place right now. There's a mm-hmm. lot of entrepreneurs and spirit and new ideas and young generations and what I would call young entrepreneurs, which are not necessarily only young in age, but young in terms of their entrepreneurial journey. 
And because you can be start your entrepreneur journey at 65. I mean, Colonel Sanders proved how many failures before he had a success. And he Mm -hmm. actually had success because he started mentoring and growing Dave Thomas of Wendy's. I keep pulling that out on this podcast, but I think it's important to know for everyone that Kentucky Fried Chicken would not be a household name if he never mentored Dave Thomas and knew that Dave Thomas was trying to learn as much from him to start his own burger business and Colonel Sanders understood that if he was ever going to make a business, he had to help someone else grow theirs, even though it could look as a competitor, like burgers could steal the chicken and there was already McDonald's. What he saw is it would be an opportunity to build an industry together and then which he could thrive in. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's one of the things that we're seeing also is there's a lot of this food truck. You guys are very bonded you guys invest a lot in each other and even in nashville you guys are always talking to each other and even buying food from each other and um supporting each other at the markets and i think that that's a big part of the success here as well um i agree and so will you talk a little bit about that um because i know that how i like i've good people are surrounded by good people and that's what i find in this podcast when i find interview a a good person they're surrounded by other great entrepreneurs so you guys have obviously done that so let's talk about sort of the support in the community that you've had um especially recently but also during covid um i when we opened i just figured everybody in the food truck industry would be i mean not not rude or mean but i just didn't think that there would be much camaraderie i guess just because everybody is different and there are so many different personalities and you know there's a competitive nature to this you know when you're up against four other food trucks at any given event i just i figured there would be more of that competitive nature between everyone but we were really um pleasantly surprised by how well everyone worked together or and still does to to most and that's honestly probably one of my favorite things yeah um when we are at events is talking to other trucks and trading food and getting to know them and um there's multiple other trucks um owners that we do hang out with uh outside of work so when you when you need help or you need encouragement or um advice like it's we have a group of people to pull all of that from. Um, I mean, it's not without its problems, obviously, but the Nashville Food Truck Association, I think, is is more special than it probably realizes. I actually, I agree. The support system here, and I've worked in the, I've been involved in Atlanta and out in California and then in Denver and, and, and individuals out there and trying to look at building food truck commissaries and even involved in some of the food truck commissaries in those locations. And it's different here. I wouldn't I would say there's a lot of bonding in the food truck business across the United States and even the globe, but it's tenfold here for some reason. I'm not sure why yet, but the amount of support and stuff I feel I feel like the community is more I feel like maybe it's the geographic. It's a little bit tougher to be a food truck here based on it's not as easy to move around and the towns are a little bit spread apart for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And, but in a weird kind of way, 
it's also made it so there's more than enough abundance of fruit for everyone to feed if they have a good business and they have good food. If you're a good entrepreneur and you have good business, you have good showmanship, which means you have a good product, you have a good story, like things will do well here right now. And it's, it's not always saying it will be that way, but there's a lot of strong entrepreneurs in Nashville that ha- are growing from each other and growing from the environment and the support system here, which I, again, it's just, it's really cool to see. And so I think that that's probably part of it. Um, I know Georgia has a huge food entrepreneur program there, which is why they have so many booming food entrepreneurs, like peddler entrepreneurs. And that's not to use negatively, that just means they get peddler license to start food mm-hmm. out of their kitchens, at their home, to sell oh. publicly. And so um, before they go into manufacturer or commissary or shared kitchen, they can do that in Georgia. I think you can probably do it in Tennessee too. I just don't know. I think it's called a cottage. Cottage. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Peddler is a different one. I'm sorry. That's a but New York term for like someone on the side of the street. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um yeah, I think it's a cottage kitchen license or something. something yeah, you are one hundred percent right. I that is, I was wrong. Yes, thank you for correcting that. No, uh, the, the cottage license, and so I think it's just cool the support that that's going around it, and the support that you guys and I mean, food trucks are recommending other food trucks to be on the podcast. So you should talk to blah blah blah, and I'm like, okay, and I think that's cool too. That hasn't happened to me before, other than here. It hasn't been, I would say it's been said it just hasn't been followed through as much and as common where people are reaching out be like oh blah blah blah, told me about you i'd love to be on the podcast you know and i'm like oh okay well (laughs) let's get you some information but that's kind of cool like i just it called me off guard because i'm like it's a just a new way that happens in nashville seems to be the food truck sector anyway seems to be very close-knit right well i think i mean i don't think i know because i've spoken to other people i think that all of us just really want, we want to be taken seriously as restaurateurs um, and that we've all pulled together for that because there are a lot of really amazing chefs on these food trucks. I mean, I, I look forward to being around multiple trucks at events because I can't wait to taste what, you know, Chang noise truck has or, uh, Tennessee cobbler or like we we get excited to know who's going to be with us from day to day because we enjoy their product and being around them like it's it's a really really fun work environment I love it and I think there's so much growth and I think it's one of those things where because of the nature of the industry and you have to go work with other food trucks different than restaurants you go into your restaurant you're not exposed to other restaurants or other chefs or restaurant tours but in the food trucks you are which is why i think the growth is so fast um in terms of the ability to learn on a food truck and to mm-hmm. to to create good food um it depends on the individual like it depends on the entrepreneurial skill the ability to grow the idea and the dedication to each other or the business or whatever it looks like but because not everyone's going to succeed. But I think generally, if you have good core values, you have good food, you're dedicated, you have a good partnership or um, a good business concept or a way of bringing it forward and the dedication to get it out there, you'll learn from anyone. And you start to mastermind almost by the nature of 
who you're associated with, which is every event you're associated with new and new food trucks that you learn from and they learn from you. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's great. So where would you like this to go, guys? Like, are you hoping for more food trucks? Are you just hoping to get your feed? Have you thought about it? Like, what does the future hold? Um, I don't know if I would um, open up another food truck, but I would like to be able to be a little more hands off, um, have the truck out running um, successfully without me on it all of the time, and then uh, maybe have like a, a storefront um brunch spot would be my would be my goal that's my short-term goal what about you i mean i agree i I don't think that i could see us doing being being mobile is really hard i mean in a billion different ways it'd be really nice to you know run the truck as often if not more often than you know we're doing now and have a small storefront um on top of that probably, you know, under the same name. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think the breakfast thing and by the nature of what you guys serve, the brunch, um, I think can go up very, very long way. And I'm sure you guys have already thought about all the menu possibilities because that opens up a lot of different menu possibilities when you're not confined to a truck space. So let's, um, let's talk about um, your inspirations, what motivates you guys, what keeps you going every day, um, and, and why, after all these years, you guys keep going. Because, you know, there has been bumps in the road. At any point in time, you can be like, I'm just going to go back to a corporate job. Why keep dreaming of more things? Why keep going? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think that when we're out, I, I go back to their there's one night and this is going to come full circle. So we got towed into the fair, um, our first year and the first day was humiliating and a a very, I guess a small disaster. (laughs) Um, but then this past year, a few years later, we're back at the same fair and, um, we were so busy. We were busy from the very first night before we ever opened our window. There were people lined up, and I, I stepped off at some point for a break and I was walking through the crowd and I heard I heard a lady on the phone and she she said, oh, my God, you're never going to believe what I found. And um, she said, Tennessee tater cakes. And it was like it was like an out of body experience. I, those moments, uh, I think, definitely helped me keep going. Um, it was super, super cool to hear. And it, it just inspired me to want more (laughs) it almost becomes like a weird um i don't know that addiction would be the right term but i know for me like anytime that we have a great big event and we just blow it out of the water i'm like all right well where are we going to be next how can we make this even bigger than it was like next year for the fair i'm like how how in the world are we going to be able to top what we did in 2022 and, you know, you start, like, it's become like a fun puzzle to see what we can do to to make it better than it was last year. And now that, you know, not that it's smooth sailing, because you're going to have different issues arise, you know, things break all the time. And, it, you know, anything mobile is, is hard um, in the food industry for a billion different reasons, like I said before. But, like, 
I don't know. It's just like, an, I like challenges and I kind of thrive in chaos. And so now that we have it down, it's neat to see ways that we can shake things up and use those shakeups to grow. So for me, that's my motivation. That's what, that's what drives me for month to month. And when things seem hard, I just think, well, next month we have this awesome thing. So I know it's going to be better. So we keep going. Yeah. And I think the hardship was hard, but there's a lot of growth and like probably love for one another, respect for one another during the hard times. And now that the times are good and you guys are winning, there's also that growth in the relationship with each other, not only as entrepreneurs, but in your relationship with each other. And I've got to imagine that that's probably pretty rewarding as well as seeing each other grow and and the joy and happiness that comes along with the success. And I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about when you know you're actually turned a corner as an entrepreneur, like the money doesn't come yet. It's like that thing where the inside changes before the outside, like Mm -hmm. long before, like four years before. And it's, um, it's the same thing. It's almost like you turn the corner and then the rest will start to follow and it takes years, but you guys have turned that corner. So what is that like in your relationship with one another? I guess is my question. I sort of teed it up. Would you say it's growing love and respect because of the growth and success of the company and the hardship you've been through? Well, definitely. Most definitely. And it's, it's nice because now that we're not, you know, barely above water we can actually take time off when we need to and spend time with each other because at one point you know we didn't have that luxury at all and I think that it's hard when you you're together all of the time but you're really not because you're always working you know on different things and I think that now that we're we're comfortable and and we're doing well we can actually enjoy each other's company again and that's awesome and it's awesome because you don't realize it from day to day but when you are in your quiet moments and you're thinking of how far you've come and thinking of how much you've changed and grown together like that's that's a really cool feeling and you know obviously we were incredibly close um and it's neat because we get to like think back on all the ways that we have grown closer and closer as we've gotten better at our jobs. Yeah. And I think it's the whole dynamic, just uh, the entrepreneurial journey and ingenuity that happens for relationships and for solutions and for human growth is just so incredible. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's like death by a million different cuts and you think you're dying. And then all of a sudden it's actually transformation by a thousand cuts. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, and that's the trick guys. Like it feels that way when you're doing the right thing in the audience, it feels like it's like you're heading towards death sometimes. And like, it's just can't, it's going to be over. But the reality is, is those little things are actually bringing you to life and a beautiful life and a beautiful experience and often in the relationships that you're in also. And if it's like joy by a thousand little tastes, then ultimately it leads to death. And like, I don't know how to explain it, but you know, you get too comfortable and you don't work hard, your business goes down the tube. And so, and your relationships, by the way. And, (laughs) um, And so I think that 
one of the main things out of all this is just you know and it's it's the story again and again and again but it's it's at least the successful ones and by success again i'm talking about the trophy that we are closer we we grew as humans we're growing the humans around us we're growing our community we're we're setting up a legacy of a business that that's making a difference that people are talking about in line you know that's what i'm talking about your people are what food makes a difference it really does and there's a lot of love and kindness and memories that get attached to food even though we don't give the food the credit right but we surround right. how many Thanksgivings and we have how many memories around and as food entrepreneurs that gets like so exemplified sometimes like I can have like it's very weird I have to be very careful around mangoes because the amount of triggering of memories and experiences around a mango can be overwhelming for me like I don't know how to explain it to anyone but it's been so much in my food businesses and my relationships and and whatever else I don't know why that I can like get overwhelmed by the amount of memories. They're good, don't get me wrong, but it's like I want to start crying because I'm like so overwhelmed by the good memory that's attached to the mango. But I'm more recognizing about food as as a transport or a vehicle uh, for us to share in our relationships. So we we go on dates, we build businesses, we build, uh, we grow our relationships, we get married, we we get whatever. You know, whatever you name it, baptized, uh, everything always ends up with food somehow in a family experience or a relationship experience or a friendship experience or a business experience. So that's where I that feel is. I like I need me. to hear more about the mango, the reasoning behind the mango. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, God, I don't know. It's just like, um, it's just very prevalent in my life. Like, I'll give you an example. Like I spent a lot of time in um, in Thailand uh, when I was in graduate school, and then again with like family. And it's just there's a lot of memory tied around like the the family connection, and and in like I've had family members also like mango lassi is an Indian thing um, that they do, and I'm probably not pronouncing it right. And it's made with yogurt and it's a drink. And so it's just like the flavor, the smell, it starts to layer its way into all these family like things, but they were always so peaceful. Like always mm -hmm. in times where I had the breaks after, it was almost like I wasn't really celebrating because I don't celebrate because like even when I was good at soccer, like I learned not to celebrate the goals because the comfortability would just horrify me because I was afraid I wouldn't make me want to score a second goal. And, um, and so there were moments around mango, even to this day, like as I transitioned to Nashville, weirdly, right when I transitioned here, like someone gave me a basket of mangoes. And it's like, out of all, it's freaking November. Like, why mangoes? And why a candle that smells like mangoes? It was just the oddest thing. And a person that didn't even know me that just wanted to be nice to me. Like, it's like, well, who are you? I just met you. Like, I, you didn't even know me two <laughs> seconds ago. And you, like, went back in your house, got mangoes and a mango candle and gave it to me. Like, it's just so odd. And, like, so it's just, like, this weird thing with mango. And I don't even know. I've always, like, what is it supposed to mean in my life? But I've never figured out anything other than like I can now go for like I 
know that mango brings me comfort. I know that it can trigger whatever chemicals in my brain, like Pavlov's dog and the triggering of the bell, that it's now <laughs> a trigger for calmness, um, ease, peace. Um, I also know that if I'm in, it's time to go to war or I need to go negotiate, I don't want to eat a mango. You know, it was like it's probably a bad idea. You know, I'm going to go in there like soft and teary eyed and all like family oriented and not really be a tough guy. <laughs> so it's like, you know, pick and choose. But yeah, food is triggers. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't want to talk about it in a negative way, but, you know, just like alcohol for some people can be a negative trigger for childhood. I think food can play that role if we really pay attention to it. So, um, good or bad for me it's good i try to keep the good ones and not think about any bad ones but um i don't actually have any bad food triggers it's mostly good ones so. I, was gonna say, I don't think i have any negative food triggers mm-hmm. yeah yeah i can't think of any and like all my joy is around food like i really even the holidays i mean you think about turkey i mean like there's joy around that but it was always like the alternate food that was the joy to me it's like oh what were all the items what's the new creative thing that I remember you know and like I like apple pie a lot and my mom never made food from scratch ever growing up so she makes apple pie from scratch that my sister has pretty close I'll give it to her Um, but it's like a recipe that's not really a recipe that no one really knows how my mom's really doing it every time and um but it's just different. And so like, that's a trigger. Like I smell apple pie and even though it may not be that apple pie, it makes me think of that. Right. So, um, it's cool. Yeah. It's neat how that works. Yeah. I mean, we are very strong as humans. We have powerful brains and we have powerful things that we just like, it's like we can do amazing things with them. We just don't even we don't even realize that we can do really bad things with them. And um, but our brains are really just incredible things. And I don't know, like the mango thing. <laughs> I'm just like I had tears coming down my eyes just now, not intentionally, but it just triggers that emotion. I guess it's what actors do. You know, they probably yeah. trigger emotions. So. That's true. Um. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent, <laughs> and um, you guys are really cool. I really like you guys. I like your journey, and one of the things is I like about it is even though life is is a continuous evolution and and growth is, you guys have built such a strong foundation for the rest of this business, for your lives, for a model of what it means to be humans in this world and actually go about a business and build a relationship and extract the learning lessons out of life that's necessary to be growing humans. And that's really cool. So I appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. I'm definitely going to ask you guys to come do a part two eventually for sure because I'm going to have lots of questions after I listen to this, I'm sure. And you'll probably have questions for me. Yeah, of course. That'd be awesome. And we hope that you come visit us at the truck yes i'm definitely going to come visit the truck i'm like i love nashville because i like going out and seeing like everything's so far here a little bit it's it's unknowingly far yet unknowingly close at the same time i'm like some things are so close and some things are so far away but i like driving around and seeing all the surrounding neighborhoods and little towns and because living in denver for so long like you don't really have little towns and you don't really have like 
when someone would say, oh, we're just outside of Nashville or just outside of Denver, I would have thought like, oh, they're like 25 miles, like to 50 miles away because that's like Boulder or where like the next city is like, I guess Golden's kind of close to Denver, but it's still a drive. It's not like, oh, here's, I don't know, East Nashville. It's three seconds across a bridge, you know, so, it's you know, like, like that in Denver? I've never, I mean, we've driven, we've flown into Denver. We've only spent time in Fort Collins. So I guess I never knew how different Nashville was from, you know, as far as like cities or smaller counties or things like that. Yeah. I mean, in Nashville's later, I mean, Denver's a later city. So Denver was built like during the industrial revolution. So everything's very square and everything's very organized and very planned and a very planned city and a very planned expansions and and even though it was farmland and settlers they were mostly in squares because that's just the way everything was drawn by the time they did we went into the territory so it's just so weird like denver's almost like a plant perfectly planned city in a lot of ways and the way that it grows and the way that it it did their beltway and the way that it's now done the airport even though it's far outside the city but it has so much room to grow and it's allowed like their international expansion you can fly from denver direct almost anywhere in the world now with their expansion on their airport and and their partner with the star alliance which is united and i don't know it just was well done where nashville's having to deal with a city that's already here in the middle of the mountains that's sort of built like a hub and spoke model which denver is also it's just Nashville wasn't planned, right? And there's a river that really goes through the middle of Nashville where the river, the Platte River in the middle of Denver is just not quite as impactful. It doesn't flood the city and stuff like that as this one has here. Mm -hmm. So so I guess that's my spiel. At least that's my opinion from what I've read. I always say that because I encourage everyone to do their own research for sure. Um, as we go, will you tell us where everyone can find you online, um, how they can reach out to you guys, and like sort of where they can find your scheduling for your rotations for your truck? We are on Instagram at Tennessee Tater Cakes, um, and that's the full word, Tennessee Tater Cakes, all one. T-A-T-E-R-C-A-K-E-S. Yeah, that's kind of important. Um, and then our Facebook handle is the same. It's um, just www.facebook.com slash Tennessee Tater Cakes. We post most of our stuff on Instagram. We don't do a whole lot on Facebook. Um, our schedule is posted on Instagram in our, like on the bio page um, on streetfoodfinder.com. There's a link um, directly under our logo. And I think that, I mean, and our email address is exactly the same. It's TennesseeTaterCakes at gmail.com. Very cool. Thank you, guys. I will definitely come visit, and I'll definitely be reaching out about a, a part two here soon because I have a lot of questions that, like I said, and I know I'll have some more. So thank you guys so much. Like Amber and Ashley, you guys are incredible. I'm so glad that you guys continued your journey and that you didn't give up and that you're here to share your story. It made a huge impact on me for sure. And it reminded me of a lot of things that, that I have forgotten about in my journey that it's good to be reminded of and, and know where I've been to, 
to understand who I am and, and where I'm going. And so I appreciate like that as well. And everyone on the podcast, thank you guys for listening in. Like really the most you can do is like write good comments on the episode or the, the podcast if you like it as a whole. But to help out the food entrepreneurs that are on here, give their episode good reviews, share it, um, and give it five stars or whatever the rating system is. I think we're on like 40 some syndications at this point. I can't even keep track. So whatever syndication is, I know some are listens, some are downloads, some are follows, some are stars. I don't know what it is, but I think all of them allow you to leave uh, positive comments. So please do that. If you want to be on the show, you can reach out to me. You can go on our Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. There's a phone number on there. You can text it or use WhatsApp and text through WhatsApp if you'd rather do that. And you can DM us if you have questions for the entrepreneurs, questions for me, or want to be on the podcast, you can do that as well, like I said. That being said, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And again, thank you, Ashley and Amber, uh, for coming on the show. And we're out. Thank you.